0: So I'll just start with a prayer, um, prayer of illumination. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. Our New Test- uh, Old Testament reading is from Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my righty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Our New Testament reading is from Hebrews chapter 3, 1 to 6, and then we'll go from verse 12 to the end of chapter 4. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory." See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter His rest? If not to those who disobeyed? So we see that we were not able to enter because of they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we have also had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience." for the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, to him to whom we must give account. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. (laughs)
1: Good morning, family. It's lovely to see you. <laughs> Do you remember the first time that Amazon delivered a parcel to you on a Sunday? I, I, remember, it ha- I, rem- I remember one Sunday just um, just doing our thing, and then there was a knock at the door. And I thought, I wonder who it is? Is it uh, like a neighbor or somebody passing or a friend? And I went to the door, and there was this really sad man with a parcel, <laughs> you know, really sad Amazon delivery guy. And, I'm like, and I blurted it out before, before I could think, and I was just like, but, but it's Sunday! And I'm like, but it's Sunday! What, what I'd ordered was completely inconsequential. You know, it was like whiteboard markers or something. And I remember thinking, or even saying, but it's not worth you losing your Sunday. And he looked even sadder, <laughs> just but he looked even sadder because Sunday is the reset day, right? And it felt like there was a disorder in the universe that he was at my door. You know, it was like the Walker's crisp packet when they changed salt and vinegar and cheese and onion. <laughs> Never mind. Um, it's just wrong. It was wrong. And it, we've had a day of rest since Moses came down the mountain that's been in, instituted in our society, in our laws, it, it's been there. Here's a, one of the great masters, um, William, not really, um, <laughs> who putting, putting together this thing of uh, searching for rest, this huge, massive structure with the Amazon parcels all over it, looking, looking for rest. Rest is this elusive, essential thing that we all ache for. I'll bet that, well, I won't bet, but you know, I'll, I'll bet that when you're going down and you're chatting afterwards, and when we've been talking around about the, the town, when people ask, How are you doing? like, oh, I'm really tired, you know, and there's this ache. I just want to stop. I want some relief. I want to be able to just, to just rest. And now in Hebrews, the writer is, is very concerned about rest, as you heard it beautifully read. You know, he speaks about rest again and again and again. And when I was reading it, I just thought, this is a really strange place to speak about rest. You know, you've got this brand new movement that's just started in the first century. You want to talk about strategy, And planning, you know, you want you want some kind of map of what's gonna happen. You want you want to be able to give huge, massive, strengthening doctrine and foundations. You want that to be the feature here. Not about taking a nap, you know. What what are you doing? Because at the beginning of Hebrews he said, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. More of that, right? More of that. We're only in chapter three, but he talks about rest he talks about something which is kind of disorienting. You're like, why are you doing this here? 13 times in these few verses, he speaks about it. And to do that, he goes back to Moses. We're looking for rest. And he goes back to the promised land and he speaks about Moses, this incredible figure who, All the Jewish people revered as the greatest prophet, the rescuer of God's people, this amazing man. He's referenced 850 odd times in the Bible. People kept on looking to him. He was the bringer of the law. He was the rescuer out of Egypt. Moses was the one. Moses was born in 1500 BC and uh, during the Jewish enslavement in Egypt. He was raised by an Egyptian princess and he was, uh, after he'd hidden in this basket, but at age 40, he tried to lead the Jewish people in a revolt, and it backfired massively. And he killed an Egyptian, he ran to, uh, to be in exile out in the desert, and then four, 40 years after that, so age 80, Age 80, sink in. Age 80, he was compelled to go back to Egypt and lead two or three million people out. Like, if the Lord knocked on your door when you're aged 80 and said, So I've got a job for you. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, side, side. <laughs> and there followed these, this epic narrative of these incredible miracles and enormous failures. And after two years of travel, the Israelites reached the border. They were right on the border of Canaan, the promised land, this place of rest, this place of promise. They've been, they've been rescued, they've left slavery, and here they are. And they send their best people out into the land and to spy it out, to find out what, what there is there and what they're going into, full of hope, Full of plans, you know, you can imagine it. Cousins kind of saying, Whoa, I wonder what the houses are gonna be like, whoa, I wonder what we're gonna get, what kind of land. And the spies come back disheartened and and completely defeated. And they say, Well, it's impossible. It's utterly impossible. The people of the land are too strong, and and it's complete waste of, you know, this just what a waste. I wonder what they were thinking. You know, it was a complete waste of their time and of their energies and of everything. As fear flooded into their heart and as despair kind of occupied every tent. They'd come all this way. All this way. And for what? As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during that time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors test me and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. There were 38 years still to come in the story, but though for 40 years they saw what I did. Did they see what God did? Yes! They saw him work miracles which were astonishing. They saw him humbling the Egyptians and setting them free. They saw water from a rock, you know, in middle of a desert. Millions of people quench their thirst. They saw food from heaven and the plan for a new society. But could they trust him with this? This seemed bigger, you know? This right now seemed harder. This was dangerous going into this land. And it was completely unknown. What if people hurt them? What if God didn't look after them? What, what if, what if it, just, it just went completely wrong? Isn't following God meant to be safe, you know? Isn't it meant to be safer? Isn't that what it's about? Well, When we look at the narratives of the people who followed him in the first century, that's not the story we get. But they kept on following and kept on following, so there must be something to follow, must be someone who's stronger than all the other claims on their lives. But this just felt too much. It was asking too much to trust here. They were just slaves, for goodness sake. You know, they couldn't go into this land with these really powerful people. How could God help them here? And fear, fear took rest off the table. Because fear does. It took peace completely off the table. Spurgeon says, the worst evils of life are those which do not exist except in our imaginations. If we had no troubles, but real troubles, we should not have a tenth part of our present sorrows. We feel a thousand deaths in fearing one. That's us, isn't it? We fear, we're anxious about things that haven't actually happened and we imagine these things in our minds, which is just completely impossible. And it's particularly strong when circumstances come in which we have no control over, and we just don't know what to do. Particularly thinking back of these last three years, when COVID came in, and we weren't allowed to go out, and we needed to keep everybody safe. And I still remember when COVID came into our house, and I nearly died, and all of the things were happening, and we're sitting there and going, right, so, (laughs) do and there's a choice isn't there there's a choice to just flood our minds with fear that that because we're concerned and things are awful or whether to trust i still remember that i teach spiritual formation and julian of norwich speaks about sitting in the weeds sitting in the weeds of our lives with god i still remember sitting there going Well, Lord, here we are. (laughs) What do you want to do with this? I think with our circumstances, your circumstances, when darkness comes in, when circumstances are hugely challenging, Jesus is with us. He didn't walk out the door. If he did, he's a liar because he said, I'm with you always, right? If he's not there in the dark, it doesn't work. (laughs) So was sitting there saying, Well, Lord, what do you want to do with this? What do you want to do here? You're with me, I know that, but what do you want to do here? And the writer keeps going and speaks about another event just to map out this idea of rest just a little bit more clearly. And he goes and turns to the Sabbath rest, you know, the commandment, the fourth commandment that says we need to stop one day in seven. The Amazon guy who didn't do that one. And with the Ten Commandments, we can be forgiven to think they're a little bit judgy, you know, and (laughs) make us feel quite a lot of shame or guilt. That's not the intention. That's not his intention. Sometimes, oh, here we go, This On the seventh day, God rested from all his works, is the reference here. Sometimes when you see billboards like this, we just feel like, "Oh my goodness, this is terrible! I'm never going to get this right. Things are..." But the Lord didn't give us the Ten Commandments to beat us over the head and make us feel small. Something amazing happened at Sinai. Something astonishing. Something huge. I mean, the narrative there in Exodus 19, 20 is my favorite part of the Bible. It's just dramatic and amazing. And you've got mountains and smoke and God speaking to the whole nation and not just one man in a cave, just like for the whole nation. This is how I want it to be. This is how it needs to happen. And here at Mount Sinai, the idea of a free society was born. Because beforehand, nations were held together by power, by violence, by threat. The Ten Commandments changed that, completely changed that. Because no government, no dictator could stand over them. If they did, they sent to The Hague, right, to answer. Because this is the basis of all our society, this is it. It's to give us freedom and dignity in relationships with God in the first four commandments and with people all around about us in the last six. But hasn't society moved on? You know, isn't it time to kind of put that aside and make new laws? You know, make our own rules, be authentic to ourselves and speak our truth and put the boundary lines to the side and all of that? I thought that a little bit when I went along to art college and thought, you know, I've got color, I've got a palette knife, nothing can stop me now. I can do anything, I can just, you know, there's no limits, let's just go. And then I was handed a canvas. I can do anything within that frame. (laughs) <laughs> that, this is not mine, it's beautiful. Uh, so, so I can do anything, but it's inside this box. Be as creative as I like, but it's here, yeah? There are limits, there are boundaries. There, there's a space, and God is giving us a space. Uh, there's a space here in art, there's a space in the, uh, on the pitch, on yesterday in Cardiff. <laughs> you know that there are rules, that boundary. Um, the things that we we get involved in and and far from from just being down on us, they allow us to be free. There, I used to be a teacher, and there was a little guy in one of my classes whose life was pretty chaotic, and his um, His mom and dad were involved in drugs, and one day. In his living room, some folk came in from the community. There was a massive argument about drugs, and it ended up that Liam lost his dad. And for the next seven days, he was, you know, he, he was given time off school, and he took big rocks, <laughs> and he and his brother John, they, they, smashed the <laughs> they, smashed, they smashed the shop windows just along from where they lived. And then Liam took rocks, and he was, he was so angry, and he's smashing the windscreens of cars, and as they were driving by, this huge BMW, he smashed the window of the, the windscreen, and the driver lost control, and flipped Liam over the top, and it broke his nose, and it fractured his skull, and, and he, he, there was just nobody who was looking out for Liam. No one, no one who cared enough to make him stop, you know? one who cared enough to make him, just held him, to make him stop. And I remember he didn't take the seven days. He asked his mum to come back to school, and he stood in front of me, and his little body was just so tense, having to make up all these rules himself, having to work out how to live all by himself. And he's all tense, and he's bruised, and he, and he just looked at me and he's like, Miss, what do you want me to do? And I remember saying, Liam, we're doing fractions today. I wanted to scoop him up, but he wanted to be strong. And I'm like, okay. So he said, Liam, we're doing fractions today. They're over there. It's like, right, miss. He goes and does the fractions. Twenty minutes later back, miss, what do you want me to do now? And and that went on and on and on through the day. He just wanted somebody to put some boundaries in, to give him a framework, to give him something to, to push against, you know? Something, someone to care enough to let him stop. And the laws that Moses brought down from that mountain were laws to give us boundaries, laws to allow us to be creative and wonderful and skillful and and live our lives to the full within the parameters that God sets, within, within the boundaries that he marks. And the boundaries that he gives here are for rest, for peace, for one day in seven to worship him. And it challenges our urge to do more, you know, to try harder, to, to fill every single space. But there's some, this, this is a gift, and there's something so special about Sundays, something so beautiful about community and coming together to worship. Because in one day in seven, there are no hierarchies in this room. There's none. There's no hierarchies around Christendom. I could be sitting next to a king and a prostitute, a beggar and a businessman, someone who's inventing the latest tech and a child, and all are equal and all are free. Isn't that genius to have that? I mean, people say, the Christian community, how do you know these people across all these boundaries, in all these places? Yeah, because we get together and we have just a little glimpse of heaven, that we are all equal and we are all free. This was meant for flourishing. Sabbath declares that there's a priority in our gathering that is bigger than all of us that's bigger than all our status and all our families and all our connections. There's something bigger because the focus is not on us at all. The focus is on the one who is greater than Moses, who stands head and shoulders above every king, above every principalities and rulers, old words, but above everything. He is high above, enthroned above the circle of the earth, we're told in the Old Testament and we don't need to control. We don't need to have every single inch of space and time for us. He says, trust me, lay it down, trust me. (laughs) He's the one in which all the law and the prophets are fulfilled. He's our defender, our shield, our maker, our foundation, and we're invited, every one of us is invited, to trust him, with the darkness, to trust him, with the constraints, to trust him. And to rest from our fears and to rest from our franticness. I don't know if that's a word, but to rest from that. Not to be in need of controlling and not to be overcome with fear. So when, when do we get to rest? Um, the reading again and again and again had one very significant word. Today, if you hear his voice. Today, if he's underlined something, here. Today, if he's highlighted something in your life. Sorry, I just learned how to do that. (laughs) Today you hear his voice don't harden your heart if you hear his voice saying pay attention to this heather go and work on this this week don't harden your heart and go lord that's too hard i don't think you're big enough for that you know i know you've done that stuff in the past but i'm not sure whether you're big enough for this i am (laughs) you can trust me or if you say, oh, I can't get everything done, it's just impossible, I, I need to pack more in, I can't come along to church on Sundays, it's just too much. I, he says, just trust me, I'm big enough for it. And you will find rest for your souls today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Jesus said this so beautifully, and Peterson has um, interpreted it so So beautifully, are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life, I'll show you how to rest, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace, I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So what has he said to you, to me today? What has he underlined? Because he says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. We rest on him, our shield and our defender. We do not go out alone against the foe. We're strong in his strength, not ours, safe in his keeping, tender. We rest on him and in his name we go. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you know us, that all things lie open and uncovered before you. You know our fears, You know our anxious thoughts, before a word's on our tongue you know it. You know our propensity to run away and hold things tighter because it feels out of control. You know us, Lord, and we thank you that at this point, in this letter, you tell us that you are enough, you are enough for us, you are more than enough. And you can meet us at each of these anxieties, at each of these fears, in each of these spaces. And we can rest in you. So Lord, as your little kids, we come to you today. And we thank you that you care enough to show us where to stop and to show us the way home. So we thank you and we praise you, and we trust you, and we ask you that today, as we hear your voice, we will open wide our hearts. In your name, amen.